Hello, everybody. Welcome to Lions Watch, your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. With English clubs flying high in Europe, Southgate faces as many as 12 absentees from England's first warm-up game. We discuss the ramifications of that. Also, we'll take the time to have a good old look at the left-back position. And we revisit World Cup 2018. First, by speaking to Sunday Times chief football writer Jonathan Northcroft for some insights from the England camp. And, of course having a little reminisce ourselves. Well, that was the worst performance I've ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! Here we are, Luke, once yes. again on Lions Watch. Here we fucking go! <laughs> Yeah, how you doing? You're getting ahead of yourself. I'm loving it. It's, it's, it's next month. It's getting closer. It's next ruddy month. The weather might be rubbish. Yeah, and you think to yourself, is it really? Are we in May? But oh, we are. It's difficult to um, kind of reconcile that with watching the Champions League semi-final second leg in May and it being snowing, <laughs> just... and then all of a sudden we've got a, a, a summer tournament. I was, a well overdue summer tournament, by the way. Oh yeah, absolutely mm. right. Yeah, I mean Manchester United, Manchester City, sorry, and Chelsea play in the Champions League final on the 29th of May. The Manchester United play in the Europa League final on. The 26th of May, which again, despite the the rain and snow, is only yeah. a matter of weeks away. Yeah, uh, and of course, England's first warm-up game is on the 2nd of June against Austria. Then they play Romania on the 6th of June. Um, Southgate said he wants to give players seven days rest after their last game of the season. Now, one can understand that. So that means Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, John Stones, Carl Walker, Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell, and Rhys James, presuming that they all go to the Euros you would certainly say the first uh, names of that Rhys James might be a slight question mark but we think he will go um, they'll only be able to join up with England on, on the 5th of June at the earliest um, you've also got uh, Dean Henderson uh, Marcus Rashford Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw as well and Mason Greenwood if he gets a we think it would be a surprise call up but you know his, his name might not be he'll be delighted to be included in that list in this podcast Marcus Thank but you, you never much. know you, you never know you never know um, and, and they would be joining up the day um, uh, of the Austria game of course so England's first game at the Euros is on the 13th of June against Croatia of course so these are uh, things that Southgate has got to keep in mind yeah and I think it, it speaks to the larger question that's really its head over and over again mm. regarding England and summer tournaments and an aspect of it, that we haven't actually talked about so far in this series, and this is a good opportunity to do so, is the pace of the Premier League. Yep. The intensity, the idea that um, the English clubs in the Premier League don't really let up on their intensity towards the end of the season if there's nothing left to play for. It still has an excellent reputation around the world as being a great product, if you want mm -hmm. to call a, a football league a product, um, right <laughs> up to the end. And, and it's not, you know, it's not difficult to remember when we had the first influx of foreign talent coming into the Premier League, they were talking about how excited they were to play mm -hmm. in a league where it's really high intensity while teams try right to the end of the season, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And this feeds into that because it's, I mean, I'm tempted to say this is bloody typical England, yep. that we get two teams in the Champions League final and one team in the Europa League final so close to a tournament that mm. we're already excited for because of the groundwork yeah. that's been laid. Arsenal did the good thing. <laughs> they did. They did the decent thing. Yeah, yeah. just in case Saka gets a call up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so well done them for once. Yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is an issue, I think, 
But then, yeah, you think through that. I know we, I knew we were going to be talking about this today, so mm. I thought about it. And my, my first instinct was that this is annoying for all the reasons I've just said. But on the other hand, is it possible that we're reading a bit too much into it? These players know the squad. Most of these players you're mentioning here at least know the setup pretty well. Mm-hmm. They would have featured for England before. Pretty much all of them, I think, have featured for England before. Um, and I don't know how much of an issue it really is. And, you know, playing the Champions League final, which we're led to believe is the pinnacle of, of club football and mm-hmm. is the highest standards you can get, kind of a great way to prepare going into a mm-hmm. tournament. You, you maintain your intensity mm-hmm. right to the very end. If, if I don't know, chuck it back at you. If, if the season finished on May 1st and they weren't meeting up again for a month, mm-hmm. would you be happy with that? Yeah, no, I, I completely hear Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. I'm just saying there's, there's pros and cons. No, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, something else is this, is that, uh, and I don't think this would happen because long gone are the days of the intense rivalries between, say, Manchester United and Chelsea, for example, in that final in Moscow. And, and, and the old, um, it was Liverpool-Man United for a while, wasn't it? It was, well? yeah, and, and Man United-Arsenal and yeah. Liverpool-Chelsea as well. I don't think you have these rivalries, but you don't want to be in a position where Manchester City and Chelsea get into that final and a couple of the players, I don't know, Raheem Sterling has a right old ding-dong, you know, with Ben Chilwell or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. You know, I, as I say, I, that is a like lesser... Like Barcelona Real Madrid type Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mind you, they Basically did okay. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's far less of a concern uh, for me there. But you don't want injuries. But in terms of the, the, the schedule in English football, I mean, Thomas Tuchel said himself recently that how brutal the yeah. schedule is in England every game, you know. Oh, particularly and, this season as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you... you know, you, I mean, Tell you what, though, if, whichever team wins that final in the Champions League, and we focus on that one because there's two English teams, of course. Mm. You win that final. I mean, you you Buzzing. fly to the Euros, yeah. don't Buzzing, you? Really. Yeah. Um, so I I, th- I think it is interesting. I mean, do you think it could present an opportunity for those who are currently injured or struggling with injuries, and those who aren't involved in those to play games, their way back in? Perhaps. I mean, that might be a little bit fanciful because again, I think by that stage, you know, players have got to be fit or they've got to be very close to fitness. I don't think. I think if someone is is even 50% fit, depending, maybe he might make an exception for, say, someone like Henderson or Rice because they're key players. But then in that position, it's quite demanding. I mean, what what do you think of that? Well, what I do think is that, I mean, if I can answer it in a slightly different way, mm. what I do think is that by this point anyway, yep. Southgate should know who what, what his best team is. Mm. And his fallback plan. Yeah, I think so. So I think there's obviously a, a way of approaching it where you kind of play a slightly different team for different challenges, as we've talked about before, as the tournament progresses, if we're fortunate enough to go through um, to the last stage, which obviously I hope we are. But I don't think I don't think we should be approaching this from the angle of, oh, well, he's not going to get the time to work with these players mm-hmm. and they're going to miss the June 2nd friendly. Mm-hmm. So that means we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By this point, he should know what he's doing. And you probably, I understand, of course, the warm-up friendlies are there for a reason. But they're also called warm-ups for a reason. Mm-hmm. You get your team in position that you should already know what it's going to be. Yeah. And, you, and you've said to me before, you suspect he does know what his team mm-hmm. is. Um, and you play them. If you can't do that, it disrupts it slightly. But is he going to learn anything more about John Stones or Raheem Sterling yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, between now yeah. because he, he's going to miss a game against mm-hmm. Romania or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. I don't think he is. So I think, I think it is frustrating just because to me, I approach it from a point of view where I go, well, that's just a load more intense minutes on the clock for players <laughs> who are going to be you know, de- by definition slightly more tired because mm-hmm. of it because they're going to be desperate to win it mm-hmm. so would I prefer with my England hat on all of those top players to be out of the Champions League three months ago yeah mm. because I don't give a shit about the Champions League from a, from a fan's <laughs> point of view I like watching it but I don't care who wins it so yeah that would be ideal but we're not going to get that and it should be seen also from the other side which is that these players have helped these teams get to the Champions League final mm. so they're good players yeah 
And the fact they're good players is a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of them, if not all of them, I can't remember this off the top of my head, but most of them, with the exception, I guess, of Carl Walker, are young. Mm. And so should be able to have a lot of energy still in the tank. And then the problem is you've got an issue with, if you, to go back to your Jordan Henderson point, earliest that Jordan Henderson's being listed as coming back is the 15th of May. That's a week yeah, on Saturday. A week yeah. today, sorry, as yeah, the show yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah. And even that looks to me a little bit ambitious. Mm. Um, he's got injuries that have been described as being around his groin, hip and pelvis. Yeah. Now, that to me seems fairly serious given the amount of time he's been out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last, the last quote from Klopp, I think, was at the middle of last month where he said, I don't know when he's going to be back still. Yeah. So it... it, it he might have his own reasons for saying that, but if he's not on a pro a program to get back, it's looking. It's is not it realistic? Good. Is it realistic? Yeah, it's not looking good, is it? And uh, yeah, you don't want to be in a situation, as you say, where clearly in the first game, the first warm up game, you've got one or two players who are way off the pace, not just a bit, a little bit out of puff, are way off the pace, and you're thinking yeah. you can't you can't be using group games to get match fit. Uh, but let's turn our attention to um, to the left back position. Hmm. I think everyone's quite uh, fi- fixed on who the two left backs will be. It'll be Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell. Yeah, they both you would very much think will be involved in these two games, Champions League and, and the Europa League uh, final. Um, and ultimately, I'm asking, who who would you like to see start? And it was interesting, talking about fitness and freshness, Southgate said when England played Poland at Wembley in that 2-1 win in, in, the, in the recent uh, qualifier, that the reason why he chose Chilwell over Shaw, who had played against Albania, a lovely cross for Harry Kane's goal, of course, yeah. um, he said that they it was very close and he felt Chilwell was just a touch fresher. Yeah, and that was why he went with it. So, so it is very stiff. Ashley Cole said uh, fairly recently that he thinks Luke Shaw is just pipping him uh, at the moment. Um, what do you think, Luke? I think it's very hard to choose between them, and mm. I think those, those comments, if I'm right, I may not be. And I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm not. Those comments might have come from when Tuchel took the job at Chelsea, and Shaw wasn't in the team. Mm. No, they, they were they were in Mar- end of March. That but, 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 the, but the point is the reason. No, I mean, I mean the the comment about Chilwell being fresher. The reason he was fresher oh, sorry, is because he wasn't playing yeah, yeah, sorry. for, yeah, for yeah, a yeah, while. Yeah. Do you remember? Because yeah, yeah, he started yeah, yeah. picking Marcus Alonso for a bit, didn't he? And then Chilwell forced his way back into the team. Yeah. And now he's playing regularly. Mm. I think it's it, I think it's astonishingly difficult to pick between them. I was thinking about this last night. Mm-hmm. They both have got really good strengths. Um, I don't think necessarily... They've played a similar amount of games in the Premier League mm. and a similar amount of minutes. The, their stats are fairly similar. They're sort of really six similar. or seven assists each. If Chill maybe is a goal more or something like that. It's very, very similar. I, I have flipped back and forth of who I would start, I'll be honest with you. There's something about there's something like about 100 minutes between them in mm. terms of minutes they played this season. And they're both obviously excellent players. And uh, I would be, to be honest, perfectly comfortable with either of them playing. Mm. Um I did sort of convince myself last night that Luke Shaw's a slightly better crosser of the ball mm-hmm. overall. Um, but <laughs> I think that's where we are. You're yeah. convincing yourself of an, of an attribute yeah. that just nudges one ahead of the but, other. But to put it this way, I don't think I'm raising an eyebrow if I see a team sheet for the first group mm-hmm. game and either of them are playing. And that's that's what we want to hear, really, yeah. isn't it? That's what you want to hear. You've got two solid options. Mm. Either one, yeah, fine. He's obviously seen something in training. That's where you trust the manager. Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're people listen to this... Yeah. I I I don't I'd be very surprised if we got any feedback from people listening to this unless they were kind of those kind of one-eyed Man United <laughs> Chelsea fans saying oh you, I can't believe you've said that you yeah. obviously one player's better than the other I don't see that at all I, I know that Luke Shaw's created 
a, like a, a huge amount of chances mm-hmm. in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. And maybe that comes down to, maybe, maybe that's important when you're looking to beat teams in the group stage. But look at Chilwell defensively. Would yeah. be part of that Chelsea defence. I mean, that also goes down to the team style. Solskjaer's teams tend to score more goals and concede more. Chilwell yeah. has been part of a very airtight Chelsea defence under Tuchel. The, the, the one thing that, that someone might highlight is that Chilwell has played wing-back as well. He played wing-back against Real Madrid. Exactly. Yeah. Now, where, let's assume England are going to play a back four because clearly if there's wing-backs there, you would probably think Chilwell was probably slightly ahead. Sure has played wing-back as well, though. Yeah, as you say, yeah. this, I'm not even convinced myself. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but I think Chilwell's probably a little bit more well-versed than Shaw in that position. But if we're talking about a back four, do you think that is an argument? Does that nudge him ahead at all? Of I think, I think um, then you look into... I mean, because if England play a back four, yeah. you want, you want, you probably want, it's hard to say. You, 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 <laughs> I, I, and do you know what? I'm not even going to try and manufacture some kind of uh, development on the point. I'm just going to say what I said earlier, which is that I'm happy with either of them. Yeah. And I think if you had a really strong opinion about either one mm-hmm. of them, you probably haven't seen enough of the other one. Yeah, I mean, Shaw's staked his claim because of such a strong season this year. If yeah. it was any other season, but if, there, if it was last season, you'd Marcus, say Chilwell. There is an element of a narrative to that, of a mm. story to that, because he was PNG oh, well, under Mourinho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was talk of him being, you know, Mourinho saying, I can't yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. even talk to this player. I have to coach him while during the game kind mm. of thing, which is maybe a, a seed of truth in it, but Mourinho was largely talking bollocks mm. there. Um, but then his, his comeback from that time to now maybe looks more impressive because of where he's come from where he is now. Yeah, I'd say so. Four white shirts in the wall. It's Kieran Trippier. As you may know by now, each week we're reliving the highs and lows of England's recent past to understand what has shaped Southgate's side today. And in this episode, we go back to the highest of highs, World Cup 2018. I spoke to Jonathan Northcroft, chief football writer at the Sunday Times, about his experience in the press back at World Cup 2018 with the England team. Jonathan, um... I'd heard journalists talk about being with England at tournaments as a bit of a, a slog, a bit of a poison chalice, perhaps, <clears> or whatever, in the past. Quite an unsatisfying experience due to, to all manner of reasons. Before embarking on your journey with England and Russia, what were you expecting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was clear there was the intention for there to be a change because the build-up when we were in England was very different to, to previous tournaments. Mm. You know, starting with this kind of uh, Super Bowl-style press conference that became famous that they, they held at St. George's Park. Now, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. what, what it was was, I mean, and they, and they kept emphasizing this is a Super Bowl-style press conference because they wanted to show how much mm. they learned mm. from visiting the uh, other side of the pond, blah, blah, blah. So We'd had that, and I must admit, this was like a big... It was in the gym hall at St. George's, and they had every single England player. Yeah, I remember. Uh, you know, basically, yeah, like sitting at a desk, a little bit like a, a sort of, I don't know, conference, a sales conference somewhere with a little name badge and all that kind of stuff. And they said to us, oh, you know, fill your boots, just go in, um, speak to whoever you like. And I can't... That might just sound like really 
ordinary run-of-the-mill stuff. I can't convey how different that is or that was to the previous, <laughs> you know, sort of 20 years of covering England where, um, you know, I worked for the Sunday paper. So my block of, of, of a Sunday journalist would be trying to negotiate access to maybe one player or two players before a tournament and dailies would be doing the same. We'd all be competing with each other, with the broadcasters. And, mm-hmm. you know, things would be very limited, very controlled and done in a sort of um, spirit of suspicion. And they told us they were going to do this, this Super Bowl style thing. And I don't think any of us really believed it was going to happen. And then there we were standing in this hall. Um, well, you know, it was a kind of flip mode because obviously people want to speak to Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. But, you know, you had, you had uh, you know, other guys sitting there like uh, Fabian Delph and us all going, oh, maybe someone should speak to Fabian. He looks a bit lonely, you know, and uh, actually making <laughs> yeah. the effort to speak to players rather than them sort of uh, other way around. So it had changed. Mm. I think we knew when we were going to Russia, there was a spirit, there was an attempt, there was going to be an attempt to make it different. But um, even with that in mind, it was a real pleasant surprise, I guess, to, to kind of see how different it was. Do you, and do you think that's why they did it, was to take away this kind of press versus England, as you say there? was to try and maybe, I mean, dare I suggest, sort of get you on board with sort of England's campaign at the, at the World Cup, if you see what I mean? <laughs> totally. Um, I think it was led by Gareth Southgate, first of all, um, and mm-hmm. maybe also led by that kind of learning from the Olympians, learning from British cycling, looking at marginal gains, and in the same way that they put a lot of effort into set pieces or took the players to the, you know, with the paratroopers on, 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 on the moors in Devon and all that kind of stuff. I think I just think they looked at media relations as a marginal gain they could make. Gareth had been part of the England squad, you know, 96. I'd covered England then, first tournament. Horrendous sort of um, atmosphere some, at different times between the press and, and, and England. Mm-hmm. He'd been there in 2002 when it was Beckham mania. And, and again, it was just players under siege from, from, from the press. So I think I think it came from him, and he wanted to do things differently. And I think he saw that um, England, one of England's problems in tournaments was 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 players feeling burdened and feeling too much pressure, uh, and a clear source of pressure was the press, it was, you know, being worried about mm-hmm. what the newspapers were going to say. And I think that's where it started from—an attempt to try and do things differently. They had a different communications department. There'd been a bit of a change there, guys with different ideas. Um, and yeah, you know, clearly um, the idea of getting us all on board, um, although it worked for us in terms of coverage, it also de- worked, definitely worked for England. You were charmed. Charmed is a word. Yeah, we were charmed. We were we were willingly charmed, and yeah, <laughs> we you know we we gave we gave them back what I think they were looking for, which was a whole lot of niceness and understanding. We saw the now famous image of of Harry Maguire on the unicorn, and and it, which was which was very much a, an image that, that suggested the England players were enjoying themselves, and uh, one or two have said that they learned from the Wales team of two thousand and sixteen and how they went around and, and kind of almost sort of created this kind of lads' holiday environment. There seemed to be a particularly good mood in the England camp, especially when you compare it to other camps, you know, South Africa being a very, very obvious um, contrasting example. How did Southgate and the coaches foster that within the camp from what you saw? Yeah, I mean, the it seems real common sense 
when you when you sort of go back. But again, it goes back to marginal gains. So, like you mentioned, South Africa. Um, what you got to remember is South Africa was a mm. reaction to Baden Baden. So Baden Baden had been wags and it had been too open and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it wasn't open from a press point of view, but it, there was a feeling it was open because the wives and the girlfriends mm. were around. So. You know, the players didn't enjoy that because their families were on the back pages all the time. Then there was, then, you know, Rustenberg in South Africa was Capello mm. doing the, the boot camp thing. And that famous quote where he's, you know, someone asked him about English lads aren't really very good at going away for six weeks without anything to do. And he said, oh, they can play ping pong, can't mm. they? So there was that, you know, his, his idea of, of entertainment was, <laughs> you know, read, do some coaching work and then play ping pong. Um, and then, Little things like in 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 Brazil, they 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 had to travel. They they were on they were Copacabana, but it didn't really work because they had to like spend a lot of time in traffic and travel around. And again, in hindsight, it just all seems really simple. But I think Southgate found the right base, which was really quiet, little village outside St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have to do much, you know. They 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 went training in the quiet. Um, they had plenty of time around the hotel to, to, to sort of relax. The stuff they did with us was quite, um, you know, I think reasonably pleasant for them. And, you know, it was like a five minute journey from the England hotel back to their hotel. I just think he took a lot of, I think he took a lot of stress away from it. Mm -hmm. not, it's not, none of it's sort of rocket science, but it kind of, it's rocket science in the, in the context of what England had done before. But I mean, going back to the, the kind of, communications thing again and, and I mentioned the taking them camping in Devon he had this big thing about communication how the players needed to tell their own stories you know like they sat in campfires and shared stuff and you know um, and I think to be fair it really worked I think that was a mm -hmm. bunch of lads who by the time they got to Russia had a had, a, had much closer bonds and kind of maybe felt they knew each other a little bit better than maybe some of the previous camps where there were divides between the United players and the Liverpool players or Chelsea players and Liverpool players or whatever. I think, I think there was a, you know, genuine, mm -hmm. there were genuine bonds there. Yeah. What, what did you think of Southgate himself in terms of his kind of leadership style and how he was around the camp? Because, you know, the, the sort of the year or, or however long it was before, you know, in in qualifying for for World Cup for the World Cup in Russia, you know, we'd obviously seen Sam Allardyce come and go very quickly, and then mm. Southgate had come in as a sort of an interim boss, and then seemed to sort of reluctantly take the post. Um, and some people thought <clears throat> this was quite an underwhelming appointment, but he started to win people over, and I thought he spoke spoke and continues to speak quite eloquently um, to the press and and whatnot. And as time mm. goes on, suddenly he becomes the kind of the almost like the darling of kind of English national football. Yeah. Uh, so how did you find him around the camp and, and his sort of leadership style and his kind of persona, if you like? Yeah, he's, he's very, he's very self-deprecating, which helps. I think he took away this kind of pomposity or <laughs> um, embattled um, sort of nature of, of previous uh, England managers and that, that sort of feeling. He's very good at that. And then if you remember, like in the first week he went running in the woods and he fell over and hurt his shoulder. Yeah. And that actually kind of That's that was right, almost yeah. a gift. Because it, it sort of humanized him a little bit and he he sort of came into mm -hmm. the press conference and made a lot of jokes about himself. And uh, yeah, I mean he he's 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 got a gift for it. You know, he's he's one of the best communicators I've 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 with the press certainly that I've ever seen. You can ask him anything and he's mm -hmm. he's 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 got he's just got a kind of authenticity about him and 
a way of deflecting anything and and, and that was that was that's just natural i suppose as much as anything else as well and that was really important but when when i you know i've said before that at the time we felt this was incredible and, and open and then in, in hindsight i've kind of reflected and thought maybe it wasn't that different it, and when i think back about gareth there was a feeling at the time that he was really open and accessible when i when i actually count it up i don't think he did any more press conferences i don't think he was available any more than capello had been or sven had been but he's he's very good at giving the sense or they were very good at giving the sense of being open and available yeah and looking ahead to the euros this summer euro 2020 to play and to be played at euro to, to be played in the summer of 2021 of course do, do you expect southgate to you know much of the same is that is that the template um in terms of dealing with the press in terms of how to sort of manage the the camp if you like do you think that is the template russia 2018 and to kind of roll out a similar kind of thing i think it is but i mean there's obvious challenges one of them is covid and i think i just think there's different expectations now and i think there's we're kind of getting back to the point where some of the players are a bit stellar you know there's i can see coming a big debate about Mount v mm-hmm. Grealish v Foden and you know who plays there Rashford and Sterling do they both play I can see those sort of issues that weren't there in 2018 where the selection was also quite straightforward creeping up so I, I think it's going to be more difficult mm-hmm. from a press point of view for England um, I think they've got a different challenge coming their way but they probably know that I mean Gareth's been quite I wouldn't say narky because Gasowski is never narky, but he's been he's been a bit sharper edged at times in the last <laughs> nine months as he's had a little bit more criticism to deal with. Um, you know, whether it's been over not scoring enough goals, whether it's been over not mm-hmm. picking Grealish, whether it's been over three at the back. It's just that started to creep in and he's started to show a little bit of edge back. So mm-hmm. I think I think I think it's more dependent now on how they do in the pitch than the stuff they do around the edges. Sterling, Jesse Lingard, Jesse Lingard! Fires in a quite beautiful Superb Jonathan Northcroft there. Yeah, great to hear from him. Yeah, if you'd like to know more about his experience at Russia 2018, get a copy of his book, Deadlines and Darts with Delhi, My World Cup Diary, England's Rebirth in Russia and Other Unexpected Tales. It's a great title. Yeah, it is a great title. It really draws you in that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, World Cup 2018, Luke Moore. Yes. Um, I found this rather amusing uh, because expectations were genuinely low going into this tournament. It's the only time, and it's perhaps... Unless we see England fall off a cliff in the next few years, which is possible, we know the history. Um, it was genuinely the only time that expectations were low going into tournament because I found it quite amusing that in the previous sort of few tournaments, people were saying things like, oh, "I think expectations are low, therefore I think we'll do well." And you yeah. think you've just undermined the whole <laughs> argument there. But it, it's but gone full circle. It really was. But going into the tournament, it did sort. Of, it's not a free hit going into the World Cup, but the previous one that we've spoken about out in the first round, the Euros were a disaster going out to Iceland. Southgate was kind of like, well, who else is going to take the job? He's, he's thrown in there. Um, what were your expectations ahead of the tournament? Um, low, I think. Yeah. I think um, I'd have to go back and check the Ramble episodes we did, but I think that... Um, never do that. No, I know I never do. <laughs> um, I, I think it was probably low. I, th- I think it would be very difficult to have any other anything other than low mm-hmm. expectation. But having said that, you do find yourself... because What I find is because the tournaments are so spaced out, 
even if you go the Euro World Cup, Euro World Cup cycle, it's two years, right? So mm-hmm. you can convince yourself that England, you can always convince yourself that England have good players, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, they play in the Premier League, which is a decent stand. It's a, it's a long time yeah. ago that England didn't have a good... You'd probably go back to the Graham Taylor era mm. where you think England haven't really got that many good players, mm-hmm. right? They have now. Mm. So it's easy to convince yourself when you watch these players play for their clubs every week that actually the main part of being a good football team is having good players. Mm. And you shouldn't forget that. Yeah. Um, so I do think there was probably an element where you were thinking, we've got some exciting young players coming through and um, we should have a little bit higher expectation than perhaps I felt... But a lot of that was because of the young players involved. Yeah. A lot was that because we we had gone from a transition of playing these really established, quote-unquote, golden generation players yeah. who hadn't really done it for us. And mm. as you said before, a few years before 2018 was when that kind of ended. Yeah. And the rest of it was a build-up to what mm. we're seeing now. And so I think the, the exciting element for me came from the young players because mm. I was definitely of the opinion of, just chuck them in. Yeah. It can't get any worse than this. <laughs> so just chuck them in and see what happens. Yeah. And, it's, and really, yeah. I mean, we can get over kind of analytical about it. That is kind of what they, he did, mm. isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah. Again, you think of 2014, 2016. It can't get any worse than it that. Just it just can't. can't. And uh, so Jordan Pickford, Harry Maguire and Kieran Trippier were three of the stars of, for England at that tournament. Oh, obviously Kane was top scorer and there was there was other uh, performers as well. But those three were quite unlikely. Jordan Pickford, three caps going into that tournament. Yeah. Harry Maguire had five. Kieran Trippier had seven. Yeah. Now, so they, they had a few, but really that's very, very low. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, Southgate, he was he was building this togetherness, as, as, as Jonathan mentioned in that in that interview a couple of times. And Southgate said to his players before the tournament, he said, if we can do something here, it'll be bigger than anything you do with your clubs. Yeah. And I wonder... That's a really good if, thing to say. I think it is as well. And I think that one or two of the England players said that and said that Southgate had said that before the tournament. And I wondered if they really knew that. Because again, some of them had experienced terrible disappointment and others hadn't been there. And we go straight to the first game against Tunisia. And England started really, really fast, really well. Mm. One nil up. It was all going well. Mm. And then they nearly messed it all up. A ridiculous yeah. penalty. It was the only chance Tunisia had. And then Kane scores a very, very late goal. And that changes everything, Luke. We talk- England had a drawn one all in that game. Yeah. We talked about it. I talked yeah. about it a couple of times already in yeah. this series of shows. It's about the teams you play against and the order you play them. And how you set your stall out. If if England, not only that, I mean, not only just if England drawn one all. Even worse than that, mm. if they considered that equaliser in the last minute, the time that Harry Kane scored the header, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it could have been a completely different story. Yeah. It makes a massive difference because everything's in microcosm. The whole thing, the World Cup is ostensibly long, yeah. but actually, for a tournament that these players are used to being a part of. It's very short. The Champions League goes on forever. The Premier League goes on mm. forever. The FA Cup goes yeah, from yeah, fucking yeah. for them will go from January, I think, through till May. Mm. So this is a one-month deal. So everything is is exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And when they were able to do this, the scenes when Kane scored that winner <laughs> against Tunisia, that is a large part of why yeah. they did what they did. It's, you could argue it's the most important goal of Southgate's England reign because again. Scoring in the last minute to scrape a, th- a win against Tunisia in your opening game is not exactly, but it was what it meant. And I think England fans thought, hang on a minute here, because yeah. that would normally end one all. That would normally be a damp squib. That would normally end like that. And you saw the way they, the cele- players celebrated together, the togetherness of that team. Absolutely. And I think the, the fact that it's Tunisia um, is kind of... So for me, playing Tunisia first is is good, but then we had Panama on the group as well. Mm-hmm. And... It was a fairly, I mean, I know Belgium were a good team, but it, and they beat us a couple of times, but that was a good group for us. Yeah. If, but if you play Belgium first yeah, yeah, yeah. and you 
Do you know what I mean? I've yeah, said that time and time yeah. again. Absolutely. You play Belgium first, you get beaten. Mm. Is it easier to play Tunisia second? No, based you, on what we saw, attritional stuff where it could go wrong yeah. before you know it. You've got one point from two games. Yeah, and then yeah. and then from that Tunisia win, I mean, I know it was Panama. England were five 0 up in a World Cup game. Yeah. I never thought I'd live to no. see the day. I, I do. I don't know how they qualified. <laughs> But it was amazing. I was happy to enjoy it at the time. It got the good times going and we yeah. were off and England were qualified and obviously um, against Belgium they lost but it turned out in England's favour because they got the sort of slightly more straightforward side of the group. They then faced Colombia and I remember thinking if England go out now to Colombia they'll really mess this up because actually the mood in the camp the way it's going England I think should beat Colombia even though it was a decent Colombia side hmm. that opens up as it would Sweden in the, in the quarterfinals and I remember thinking Oh, do you know what? Here's the expectation. England should get to at least a semi-final here. Yeah. And against Colombia, of course, we know what happens. They win the penalty shootout. And it is the the the, the biggest monkey of them all of yeah. Eng- on England's back, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's been there since 1990. Yeah. And, and England finally win a penalty shootout at World Cup. I know they won one in Euro 96. That was quickly reset after the semi-final against Germany. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that didn't really count. Um, but, but the other thing about that game, which mm. is actually really important to mention, I don't think it's mentioned enough, is that England team, mm. they had a mixture of kind of, had a few experienced players in there. I mean, Kane would have been 24 at the time. Young had been around a bit. Mm-hmm. Henderson had been around a bit. Um, Trippier was inexperienced mm-hmm. at international level, but was a bit older. Yep. And you had Walker, right? The reason that was a really important win was not just because of the penalty shootout mm-hmm. win. That's a massive part of it. But because Colombia spent 120 minutes trying to bully England out of it. They clearly <laughs> thought, they clearly thought our best way of winning this game is to batter the shit out of England. Yep. They'll cower mm. and we've got some good players. We've got Falcao. We've yeah. got um, Quadrado. We've mm-hmm. got, um, you know, two good centre-backs at the time. And Sanchez and yeah, Mina, Mina, yeah. got a good goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. We've got the quality to yeah. get a goal here and yeah, do yeah, something, yeah. right? And England didn't stand, they didn't back down, they stood up to it. Mm. I know they weren't able to get the job done in, in, in normal time and in extra time. And the way they conceded that equaliser mm. was gutting, oh. which makes it even more impressive they were it, able to yes. put it to one side. Well, like when th- that there equal- was two big victories there, Marcus. One yeah, was yeah, not yeah. being yeah, bullied yeah, yeah. and yep. one was winning a penalty shootout. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it had been such a, a, such a long time England had won a, uh, a knockout game at a tournament. Yes. It had been such a long time. Mm. Um, 2006 I think it went back to which is madness you know because 2016 it was Iceland 14 out of the thing 2012 they were out in the first knockout game uh, same in 2010 blah 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 it goes back to 2006 yeah. they hadn't won a knockout game mm. at a tournament mm. that's how bad it had been as an England fan Yeah. so they overcome that and of course the penalty shootout the scenes of celebration you know missing first Pickford becomes a hero, yeah, um, and uh, and and Eric Dyer sort of finishes it off, and and Southgate's celebration after the game where he'd been so measured and so yeah. calm, and then just for a moment he, he let out that scream of joy. Screamed, yeah. It was absolutely glorious. England are then into the quarterfinal against an inferior side, hmm. um, and they do a good job. It was a business. It was such a business as usual job that I don't remember much about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, it was like kind You're of like absolutely that, right. them off 2-0, job yeah, done, business-like. It was, it was quite incredible. And then, of course, in the semi-final, you have to say beaten by a more canny side. Well, I, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. And I, you don't, don't agree? Well, look, you and the production team for this show mm-hmm. have included that information. Yep. And you, I, for me... I say canny. I'm not saying, you know, England were 1-0 up and, you know, had a chance to make it 2-0. I'm, I'm not, I'm not necessarily better, but they were a little bit cannier is the word I'm sort of drilling down on. They had some good players. Yeah. Definitely. They had some great players, and there's no question about that. Some all-time, in the shape of um, Modric, an all-time great, in my view. Rakitic. 
great player. Brozovic and Rakitic at the base of the midfield mm. was great. Perisic is a high level Mandzukic. player. Mandzukic. Yeah, they've got really good players. Yeah. They also had some quite notable weaknesses in their team. Mm. Like down the left, down the right hand side, um, with Lovren and um, Choluka. Was it Chaluka? Chaluka. Um, I think England could have done a better job of exploiting that. But my point, I was, this is a big, really big long run up to basically say that I actually thought England had exhausted their emotional mm. energy yeah. against Colombia. Mm. And it just so happened that Sweden were an average team and yeah. they had enough to get past them. Mm-hmm. And I think they were totally spent mm. by the time they played Croatia. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fact that Croatia played in a slightly different way and were a little bit more reserved um, meant that they preserved some energy. I can't quite remember all the games Croatia played. I don't know if they had any life or they'd, death in the, in, the, in the knockout before that. Yeah, they'd beaten Russia in the quarterfinal. That's right. And they'd beaten, uh, I think it was Denmark in the second right. round. Right, okay. They just seemed fresher to me. Yeah. When you said, oh... Which is Kenya. odd because both of those games went to the went to extra time and all that. True, actually, you know? yeah. But you, So you said Kenya... I feel like they were just seemed fresher, mm. and I felt that like England looked like they were cooked. Yeah, I know. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. They didn't, they didn't look like they were going to do anything really in extra time. Yeah, and I think in the second half again, England were kind of hanging on, and England aren't. Uh, other than old under old Svenigans, you know, they'd never yeah. really defended that resolutely, really, at tournaments. You know, certainly in recent years, you well, don't they didn't think... really do it under Sven, did they? Well, they, they, defensively, they were all right under Sven, but I mean, you, but you're going back way. The Brazil game. Yeah, but that, and that was a letdown. But England are not known for being able to kind of soak up the pressure and just see out a 1 0 win, really. No. I, I think, I, think I, I look at the 2018 summer and I look at the, the way that we look at that Croatia game and, and talk about the other games. To me, it's, bit, it's bittersweet because mm. it, it was more than I expected and that yeah. they should be proud of what they achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a big turnaround from, from I mean, the last time England got to a semi-final of a, of a, of a tournament was uh, 1996. Yeah. And before that, it was 1990. So look, clearly, historically, it's an mm-hmm. achievement. But the way the cards yeah. fell, they probably should have been looking at the final. And the thing that helped me... Sleep... Or do you think Croatia were just underrated? Uh, I think No, I think, I think with England and Croatia, I remember going into it thinking this is 50-50. And mm. I think that, again, the way the game panned out, I think Croatia's quality shone through that little bit more. And, and what you say about the tiredness is certainly emotionally, I agree with. The thing that helped me sleep um, quite soundly at night was whoever went through France winning that game. That big time. I've never been so sure of it yeah. in all my life. So, so that, that was it, the best thing. Because I think if Belgium had have snuck through, even though I think Belgium would have been favourite, say, against England or, or Croatia, I still think, oh, you get a little bit of a chance. To me, France, they just look bulletproof. Yeah. In a sort of slightly boring way, other than the game against Argentina. But anyway, but, but it was interesting though. Southgate, you talk about 96 and 1990. Southgate didn't want an open top bus parade for reaching a semi-final. So they returned to England quite quietly. Yeah, quite well, rightly so. Absolutely. In yeah. 1990, it was a huge fanfare. And I get that. I'm not sort of yeah. having a go at that, you know. Um, and he also said to his players, have a look around you, soak this in, because it will never be like this again. Hmm. It will never be. He never said this good, but he said this group of players in this atmosphere it won't be like this again. Mm. He was very, very aware of seizing the moment. He, he was saying that, as he said it, he was really intensely looking at Ashley Young. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be in another squad. Yeah. You'll be in another squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'll be in another squad. <laughs> You're lucky to be in this one. Yeah. Um, but I the, didn't want you here. Yeah. You're here now. But the, the takeaways <laughs> of that, 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 uh, that tournament for England to me was that they showed character and togetherness at the tournament. Yeah. And sometimes we'd seen England be too individualistic on the pitch and that kind of thing. Um, also, it was the start of Southgate's journey as an England manager, as opposed to the end, which we saw with Venables in 96 and Robson in 1990. That seemed to be the sort of the great sort of crescendo of it. Whereas now Southgate was like, right, 
we've got that. Now let's move on. Well, that's a really, that's a really good point because for Robson and Venables, it was the summit. Yeah. And for Southgate, all being well, based on the promise they've shown up to this point, mm. you'd want that to be the base camp. Really. Yeah, exactly. This is what you. This is users' experience. A mm. lot of these players mm-hmm. that are there could have. We would have got a lot of experience from that. It was a coming of age thing for Harry Kane, as I yep. know you want to talk about. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then can they kick on from that? And mm. the proof of that pudding, Marcus, will be in the eating this summer. Yeah. And we'll see. Mm. Because they've got a lot of good players again now. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of them haven't featured in the tournament yet. No, you're absolutely right. And also as well, the players just seem to enjoy and relish playing for the national team again. I know players have always wanted to play for England, but this just seemed a little bit different. And yeah. England also now had a proper goal scorer in Harry Kane. Well, that's important to stress because yeah. you know we shouldn't be talking about a um an England we shouldn't be talking on England podcast series and not talk about the fact that we haven't a golden boot winner <laughs> yeah, as well, yeah, right? That's right? Because I know it was disappointing how it how it finished and and they did look a little bit bereft at the end against Croatia, um. But Kane was the standout striker in the tournament, and mm. so and is he a better player now? I think he's a more rounded player now. I think this question marks over the injuries he's had and whether mm. he's got too many miles on the clock for his age which we've certainly seen in the past with someone like Rooney, but yeah. I think that's premature for Kane. I think he's a better, more rounded, complete player now. And for for better rather than worse, he's managed to maintain this goal-scoring rate for England mm. that it's actually quite easy, well, not easy, but it's quite common for players at the start of their career. I think he had 13 goals and 24 caps going into this tournament. Mm-hmm. He's now maintained that level of goal-scoring for England, yeah. which is really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. He's not phased by the big occasion. If he steps up to take a penalty he's going to fucking score it. And yep. by God, did England get some penalties in that yeah, World yeah, Cup? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if that continues, it's a go- essentially a goal. He's a very reliable penalty taker, which is a big part of VAR era mm-hmm. football at tournaments. So there's a reason to be positive and a lot of those reasons are rooted in this tournament. Mm, absolutely right. Well, that's the end of this uh, week's episode. Thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch. We'll be back next week with some more news and discussion and we're also looking back at the road to the Nations League and that glorious night in Seville. I'm going to have to research this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'll play it on a loop in my head. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.